This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. But even if you have non-detectable levels of manganese coming in to the distribution system, that can build up in those pipes over time and and create a a massive amount of manganese inside the pipes, which can then be released if you have a change in water chemistry. That's WQA Technical Affairs Director Eric Yege talking about just one of the contaminants on his top list of concerns for 2020. And welcome to another episode of WQA Radio, news and insights about the water treatment industry. Find us at wqa.org on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is episode number 151. If you're joining us for the first time, we're glad you're here. Subscribe to the podcast on most popular podcast apps. You can also find a link right on the WQA homepage at wqa.org. In this episode, we'll talk with Eric about the top contaminants that he's put on the front burner for WQA members in 2020. We'll also see how WQA and the industry overall is poised to deal with these concerns and to keep you educated and informed. Plus, we'll have our WQA tip. Now, on to my conversation with Eric Yege on WQA Radio. Hi, I'm Eric Yegi. I am the Technical Affairs Director for WQA. Great to catch up with you, Eric. Thanks for joining us on WQA Radio, as you have from time to time. And it's great at this time of year when we look at the top challenges, what you are predicting specifically for concerns for 2020. So great to have you on the program, first of all. Great to be with you, Wes. Okay, well, let's look back, first of all. What were you predicting for 2019 in terms of top contaminants and top issues that were affecting the water industry? So the top three issues that we talked about last year were chloride, uh, the rising levels of chloride in our surface waters, and PFAS in the drinking water, which stands for per and polyfluorinated alkyl substances, and then, of course, lead in drinking water. And how did, how did we do? How, how close did you come? Those were the top three issues that WQA had to deal with last year. Um, we spent most of our resources dealing with those three issues. Yep. Also based on media reports and what you see in the news, those tended to be the top issues around the country. Okay. So with that in mind, let's move ahead and look ahead to this year, 2020, and how does how do things shape up for us? Well, again, this year, um, I feel like those are, again, the top three issues, the rising levels of chloride in our nation's surface waters, PFAS showing up in our drinking water supply, and also lead. Okay. And I understand you might even have a couple of bonus issues that uh, you're going to keep your eye on. Certainly. Um, I also could uh, also would like to mention manganese uh, is a rising concern around the country and also in Canada, as well as disinfection byproducts. Well, then with that in mind, let's break them down. Let's take a look at each one of these issues and uh, hear a little bit more about why you are concerned about chloride and PFAS and lead. 
Certainly. So with the rising levels of chloride in our surface waters, that has been causing premature failures of uh, water heaters around the country. And researchers are now linking that to the rising levels of chloride in the surface waters, which is mostly coming from road salt. That will, though, of course, lead to uh, modernization or at least optimization of the collection of softeners, which is out there in the field, and also a drive to develop and sell higher efficiency softeners. And it will also create more interest in alternative technologies, which don't use salt. Okay. And what about PFAS? PFAS, um, again, stands for per polyfluorinated alkyl substances. We know the most about the two PFAS chemicals, PFOA and PFOS, uh, which were phased out of use in the United States in, by 2015. Uh, listeners may have heard about a push to regulate PFAS in our drinking water, but at this point the EPA is just trying to address those two specific PFAS. In response to concerns about those two chemicals, the, the chemical industry developed new PFAS chemicals to replace those two, and it is now believed that there are over 4,000 different types of PFAS in use globally. We know for certain that there are around 900 new PFAS that were approved for use in the U.S. just since 2006 through the EPA's Toxic Substances Control Act, or TASCA. And we have an analytical method gap. The analytical methods have not kept up with the industry as the array of PFAS in use has diversified. Most drinking water laboratories can only test for about 6 or 39 of these chemicals, Wes. So it's, testing is expensive. There's a low capacity for this type of testing nationwide. And you may have to wait several weeks to get your results. So there's definitely a testing gap. All right. Now, I'm, I'm, I am a little co uh, confused about PFAS. Why are there so many of these chemicals and these compounds? The concern about the two that we know the most about, PFOA and PFOS, and, and the known health impacts with those two, drove the chemical industry to develop new alternative PFAS chemicals. So they could replace those two that were voluntarily being phased out in 2015. So the, uh, the abundance of these compounds is the result of manufacturers looking for alternatives. Looking for alternatives, yes. These compounds are used in a wide variety of industries, firefighting foams. Um, they're used in nonstick coatings, uh, like the, the fast food containers that you get. They're used in carpet, clothing, all kinds of things. And they're also now showing up in the biosolids. What we've learned is that they go right through the wastewater treatment plant. They end up in the biosolids. So now we sell the biosolids from the treatment plant to some farmer. And now the poor farmer has a, a PFAS problem in his field because he's spread the biosolids on for fertilizer. So we're, we're learning that there's a lot of new sources for these chemicals in our environment that we didn't anticipate before. And we're finding them all across the country. Mm hmm. Okay. And then lead was your third top concern. And, you know, we would think that by now, of course, everybody has heard about the lead problems that are out there. And yet, uh, even as recently as just a few months ago, we know that Newark, as an example, was still uh, handling and dealing with a lead issue in its drinking water. So we know it's still a problem. And, and why is it your one of your top concerns for 2020? 
Well, two years ago, we believed it, that there were approximately 10 million lead service lines still in use in the United States. There's been no significant dent made in that number because replacing these lines is expensive, it's time-consuming, and it's complicated by private property rights since a portion of the service line leading up to each house is typically the property of the homeowner. There's a renewed focus on creating a proper inventory of these lead service lines. So, for example, in some cases, the estimate and the number of lead service lines has actually gone up. Two years ago, we believed Chicago had around 100,000 lead service lines, but now we know there are around 400,000 lead service lines in Chicago. And many of the proposed revisions to the lead and copper rule are aimed at strengthening the sampling strategies and enhancing public notifications. And there's been an increased interest in the development of field tests or devices which can detect lead in the field, as well as increased interest in real-time measurement of lead using sensors or other inline detection devices. And all of these factors will likely heighten the public awareness of lead in our drinking water for years to come. Quite a challenge and obviously continues to direct the attention of our industry on it because we have solutions for lead. We do I mean, have that's, solutions. That's, that's the important thing because for Because lead finds its way into our drinking water due to contact with pipes and fittings, this problem is uniquely suited to a point-of-use or a point-of-entry solution. And there's growing acceptance amongst the public officials that point-of-use and point-of-entry technology can be successfully deployed at a minimal cost to protect consumers from lead in drinking water. Let's turn our attention to those uh, last couple of uh, contaminants or concerns that you mentioned. You had... Uh, what would we call some bonus concerns uh, that uh, you want to keep your eye on? Well, I mentioned some other emerging issues. One of them, uh, manganese. Manganese is a contaminant that we've known about for many years, but which is only recently getting more attention as a potential health concern in our drinking water. In the U.S., there is no federally enforceable limit for this contaminant in drinking water. There's only a secondary guideline of 500 micrograms per liter, which is a non-enforceable limit based on aesthetic impacts. This year, Canada published a maximum acceptable concentration of 100 micrograms per liter, so five times below what we would consider acceptable as a secondary guidance in the U.S. And this is based on concerns about neurological impact on children. So many states in the U.S. are also reevaluating manganese and have either published or seem likely to publish their own health-based limits for manganese in drinking water. And manganese, too, Wes, is similar to lead in a couple of ways. First, because children seem to be more impacted than adults. And second, it builds up inside the distribution system. Even when it's present at non-detectable levels in the incoming water, it tends to become incorporated into the scales and the deposits on the surface of inside the pipes. And over the course of several years, that process can accumulate a large mass of manganese in the distribution system. And then if you have a slight change in the chemistry of the water, that can cause an unexpected release, similar to the lead spikes that we often see from the distribution system when there are water chemistry changes. As with lead, there is a growing interest in the use of point of use or point of entry technology to remove manganese. This is especially true because of the way it becomes incorporated into the surface deposits inside the pipes in the premise plumbing. A point of use or point of entry technology is the only way to create a final barrier which can protect the consumer from events which cause that unexpected release of the manganese from those surface deposits. 
I receive several inquiries per month from public officials who are looking to find certified products that they can use or recommend as a solution for manganese. Unfortunately, there are no products which carry a certified claim for manganese from for removal of manganese from drinking water. WQA published a new standard earlier this year which will allow manufacturers to pursue such a claim. The standard is free for use by any certification body and manufacturers who are interested in filling this demand should contact WQA or their certification body of choice and ask for a quote to get certified for a manganese claim using WQA standard ORD 1901. We're talking with Eric Yegi, who is the Technical Affairs Director at WQA, talking about his top concerns for 2020. So the question about manganese is, is that a problem in any particular area in the United States? In order to know whether or not you have a problem, you'd really have to have your water tested. There are signs uh, for of manganese. You, it does cause a discoloration to the water, and in some cases, bad taste. So... Again, trust your eyes and your, your, your taste buds. If you notice a problem, definitely have your water tested. But really, to be sure, you would have to have your water tested. Geographically, manganese is pretty widespread in the United States. Um, it definitely varies state by state and in specific geographic areas. But even if you have non-detectable levels of manganese coming in to the distribution system, that can build up in those pipes over time and, and create a, a massive amount of manganese inside the pipes, which can then be released if you have a change in water chemistry. All right, with all of that in mind, how are we going to be able to help members at the WQA convention coming up in Orlando, uh, April 1st through the 3rd of 2020? And our theme, as you know, is Vision 2020. So we wanna make sure we have a clear vision of how to handle all of these different challenges. We will have uh, several speakers addressing the chloride issue. There will be discussion of the chloride levels in streams and surface waters. Mark Edwards from Virginia Tech University will be there to present his results from the benchmarking study, which was looking at alternative technologies which do not use salt. And we will also have a session on softener optimization and some of the lessons that we've learned in softener optimization efforts around the country. We will also have sessions talking about PFAS and the health impacts of PFAS and its occurrence in private wells. And we're going to have we're going to be addressing a host of other topics and issues. Right. So get on over to wqa.org/convention to see our schedule and to make sure you're up to speed on everything that will be covered and then obviously get registered, get signed up to be a part of the convention because we need you there. We need uh, not only your uh, presence, we need your contribution and we need to continue to use the resources of WQA to help the industry, to move the industry forward. So I guess the last question for you, Eric, is as you move into 2020 and think about how your department helps the membership, what are, what are some of the ways that the Technical Affairs Department is able to support membership? I would uh, take a look at the water Q&A section on WQA.org. On that page, we try to take uh, contaminants and distill them into simple uh, simple messages that can be used w to help educate consumers about the water quality issues in their area. I would also keep your eye on the WQA Essentials webinar series to, to watch for technical topics on any of these contaminants. And of course, the, for our core and premier members, they're always welcome to call us for member technical support. 
All right, very good. Eric, great to have you on the program and to give us your concerns. It's uh, always kind of a mixed report. You know, there are the concerns out there, which are real challenges, but at the same time, it's good to know that WQA members, the industry itself, through point of use, point of entry, uh, we are positioned in, in, a, in a very strong way to help with real solutions. Absolutely. There are point of use and point of entry solutions for all of these water quality issues. And I think our industry will continue to see more interest in deploying these in-home solutions in the future. Great. Thanks, Eric. And now our WQA tip. If you're making New Year's resolutions, here's one. Become a member of the Water Quality Association. You know, it's never been easier. Go to wqa.org slash membership and you can sign up and pay right online. No need to call or mail anything. Do it all with the click of your mouse. You can also renew your membership online as well. If you're joining WQA for the first time, your registration for the WQA convention and exposition in Orlando, April 1st through 3rd, is free. If you have any questions, reach out at membership at wqa.org. We'd love to have you join with other like-minded water treatment professionals so that we can continue to promote the betterment of water quality around the world. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, news and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Just search for WQA Radio, then hit subscribe. Each new podcast will appear in your podcast catcher or podcast player automatically each week. That's the magic of podcasting. And be sure to rate and review the podcast as well. Learn more about water at WQA.org and learn more about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at WQA.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio.